This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Our Zen practice is something that tends to provoke questions. Um, we have questions like, well, what is this Zazen, anyway? And of course, the answer is, nobody knows, really, what this Zazen is. So that's difficult, you know, it's difficult to undertake a practice that uh, does not have an objective. You know, Dogen talked about Zazen, he said, this is not learning meditation. This is not a meditation that goes from here to here, and if you just do these steps, then you'll get there. No, he said that's not. And you know, there aren't really that many instructions for our zazen. You know, cease all the movements of the conscious mind, the gauging of all thoughts and views. <laughs> well, that's a pretty big instruction to take. <laughs> Most of our instructions are negative, right? Cease all involvements and relinquish all affairs. That one instruction. If we do that, then Zazen is completely realized. But it's a negative instruction. Don't do this. We have the instruction, have no designs on becoming a Buddha. So because we have this core practice that is very difficult to give much in the way of uh, definition to, it's not surprising that certain questions keep arising over the centuries, over the millennia in Zen, over and over and over again. And we sit and we pay attention, just whatever's happening, with as little discriminating mind as we can muster. And uh, there's things that come up as we notice what's going on, including questions like, what is this mind, anyway? That was a perennial question in China when uh, Zen was flourishing there. What is mind? It was asked of many, many teachers. Also, questions like, what is the way? And questions like, what is Buddha? Questions were asked like, well, maybe they all come down to this. What is the point of Zen? And why is it such a big deal that Bodhidharma came from India to China? bringing this practice with him. And after he did that, and you know, the teachings started to spread in China, they developed different styles of conveying the teachings. And it's very interesting to look at these styles, because it's really passed on one person to another to another. Um, and we wonder, well, 
can we see the continuity, right, in in teaching style in lineage? And one of the uh, really helpful books in helping us do that is this book by Andy Ferguson, uh, Zen's Chinese Heritage. And in this book, he he looks at uh, the collected stories, not all of them, but many of the collected stories of all of the great Zen teachers in China. <laughs> so this is not a book that you just, you know, read for a few minutes before you fall asleep. Uh, this is, you know, really interesting. And because it's collected like this, it really gives us a glimpse at, to, at what do some of the teaching lineages look like? How, how does Zen get communicated from person to person to person? We say it's communicated warm hand to warm hand. But how is that done? So I thought today that what I would like to do is talk about three different teachers in a particular lineage. This is the lineage that eventually will go to Rinzai. And then you know, on beyond him. So not quite our lineage, which is the Soto lineage. But um, very powerful lineage and very powerful teachings in this lineage. And the first teacher that I want to uh, mention in this lineage is Mazu. His dates are about 709 to 788. Um, and Mazu had some very uh, uh, essential teachings that, that he conveyed. One, one of his favorite teachings, he said, this congregation, all of you here believe that your own mind is Buddha. This very mind is Buddha's mind. I'm sure that didn't clarify anything for his disciples. You know, the question obviously comes up, how could you know, this mind be Buddha's mind. We have a we have a sense sometimes that what we're trying to do is kind of get past this mind, which is which we define, you know, is the mind that is full of our preoccupations and our egoistic desires. But Mazu's teaching was this very mind, is Buddha's mind. And so it raised the question, well what is he pointing to as this very mind? Is it really all of these um, kind of petty preoccupations that we cycle through again and again and again. Is this Buddha's mind? It's not impossible. There's, there's a very strong teaching that the thing that distinguishes Buddhas is that they're enlightened to delusions. And so obviously Buddha's mind does not arise that enlightenment does not arise unless there are delusions. So this mind, the mind that's totally preoccupied with me and mine and it's different from you and yours and 
gaining ideas. May well be some part of Buddha's mind. But Mazu actually goes further than that. He says, this mind is not like a little piece of Buddha's mind. This mind is Buddha's mind. So he confused, you know, 30 generations of disciples. <laughs> with just that one idea. And in fact, that's the idea that I want to follow as we look at the lineage today. He also had the teaching, you who seek Dharma should seek nothing. Apart from mind, there is no other Buddha. Apart from Buddha, there is no other mind. Do not grasp what is good or reject what is bad. Don't lean either towards purity or pollution. The myriad forms of the entire universe are the seal of the single Dharma. Whatever forms are seen are but the perception of mind. But mind is not independently existent. It is codependent with form. So this is complex. He's trying to teach about what is the nature of mind? And what is the nature of awakening? Who was this Buddha anyway? And so he encourages students by saying, this very mind is Buddha. But when you think about it, it really has to be true. We have in all of our Zen lineages, the idea that uh, the way is not separate from us right here. That if we go grasping for the way, and this actually comes out later in Mazu's lineage, then we're sure to be turning away from it. If we think the way is someplace other than here, and if we think that Buddha is something other than this, we miss it. We go past. So, in, in teaching, this very mind is Buddha, at least, you know, even for us poor students, the idea of that this mind is Buddha focuses us on this, right here, right now. Focuses our attention to what is right in front of us. It actually focuses our attention on who and what we actually are. And so this is like core of Zen practice, is understand that this is no different from uh, the goal of practice. We already have the goal of practice that's right here. Say, samsara is in fact nirvana. This life of egoistic grasping is in fact the end of suffering. So a monk, one of Mazu's monks, asked him, Master, why do you say that this very mind is Buddha? <laughs> it's a good, good question. And Mazu said, I say that to stop children from crying. 
Can you imagine this view of his monks? I want Buddha. Where's Buddha? Give me my Buddha. And I say that to stop children from crying. Settle them down. It's right here. And then the monk, who was really cold, said, What do you say when they stop crying? <laughs> so interesting, you know, the, the whole thing is it's skillful means, Mazu says. You know, I say this to relieve your suffering. Well, what do you say when suffering is relieved? What do you say when they stop crying? And Mazu said, I say, no mind, no Buddha. Maybe they start crying again. <laughs> Hard to pin down, isn't it? So, and this is actually, a, I mean, I think it's a characteristic of a lot of Zen teaching lineages, but this particular lineage uh, I'm describing really um, emphasizes the, uh, the paradox that is in Zen. I say, no mind, no Buddha. Um, do those teachings strike any chord in you guys? Do they raise any questions or reactions? I want to cry. You want to cry? <laughs> How hard. <laughs> this very mind is Buddha. <laughs> I think, I mean, like, to not view Buddha mind as different than our mind isn't, isn't that important because it's a dualistic thing to say, oh, Buddha had a special mind. Right. I have a separate mind. Right. And Buddha. Doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't go along with teaching. How do we practice that way? Yeah. Oh, then we need a different kind of meditation. We need a meditation that starts here, goes to this point and that point, and you know, learning meditation is doing that. We don't have that meditation. We'll never get there, you know, someplace else in Zazen. The only place we could ever get would be here in Zazen. So, right. So we came up with our own minds, which was the same mind as Buddha. Same mind as Buddha. Both concepts of mind and Buddha are like empty or meaningless. Anyway. Okay. So the follow-up question is like, get over, you know, get over your concepts. Get over your concepts. No mind, no Buddha. What do you say when they stop crying? Well, get over it. <laughs> right. No mind, no Buddha. It's not that there is nothing there, but what's there goes beyond your ideas and your ability to name. Yeah. Any other thoughts come up? And one of the things that I think of is, well, what did Buddha wake up to anyway when we're asking this question? Yeah. What? I was just going to say that even the Buddha had to awaken when you were saying. Yeah. You have to awaken from something. From delusion, exactly. Delusion. Right. And what did he wake up to? Well. 
we have a sense that what he woke up to was his true nature. And we also have a sense that what he woke up to was the fact that in, a way, in that awakening, it wasn't his. It wasn't a personal awakening. But all beings awakened at that moment. So it says something about what did he, what glimpse did he get of what his true nature was, what his mind really was, if he said, all beings in the great earth have awakened simultaneously. When we think of mind, we think it's a personal thing. Nobody else knows what goes on, what goes on in the mind. It's, it's private. Unclear that that's what Buddha meant, or that's what Buddha mind means. Is that it's just, you know, individualistic. So, Mazu, you can hardly say he passed on answers to his disciples. He passed on questions. He, he pointed his disciples towards what are questions to ask that might help you to awaken. And one of his students was Nanchuan. Oops. Who knows Nanchuan? Nanchuan is the teacher who held up the cat. <laughs> Remember? I got it in half. Yeah, I got it in <laughs> Kind of a flamboyant guy, right? <laughs> um, and uh, Nanchuan had uh, a student who was called Zhao Zhu. So I want to tell you a story about the meeting of Nanchuan and Zhao Zhu. Upon their first meeting, Nanchuan, who was lying down and resting at the time, asked Zhao Zhu, where have you come from? And Zhao Zhu said, I've come from Ruishan. Uh, that compound means omen figure. Nanchuan said, Did you see the standing omens figure? Zhao Shu said, No, but I've seen a reclining Tathagata. Tathagata is another name for Buddha. No, but I've seen a reclining Tathagata. And at that, Nanchuan got up. He was laying down, right? And he said, You're a novice monk. Do you have a teacher or not? And Zhao Zhu replied, I have a teacher. Nanchuan said, Who is your teacher? And Zhao Zhu 
stepped in front of Nanchuan, bowed, and said, in the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for the master's blessings. What do you think of when you hear that? In the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for the master's blessings. Same thing. Who else would have said that? Okay, so Bodhidharma's first disciple, Bodhidharma, the Indian monk who brings Zen to China. His first disciple was a person named Wei Ke. Wei Ke went to study with Bodhidharma, but Bodhidharma wasn't interested in taking any students. He was just facing the wall, meditating. And Wei Ke stood outside of the cave where Bodhidharma was meditating, right? And in the middle of a deep snow, terrible cold. Dogen mm -hmm. said, it was so cold that the bamboo was cracking. He stood in the snow. The snow was up to his waist, Dogen said. So, uh, when Zhao Zhu says to Nanchuan, uh, in the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for his master's blessing. He's saying something pretty important, right? Zhao Zhu is saying to Nanchuan something, something like, I see you as the patriarch, and I present myself as your student. Yeah, Nanchuan had just asked, well, who's your teacher? Um, and Zhao Zhu demonstrated to him with his bow who the teacher was. And Nanjuan admitted him to the assembly. So this is interesting. This is a, um, an interesting lineage because the main interaction in this lineage is um, in the activity between these two guys. Nanjuan. I mean, um, Zhao Zhu bows to Nantua, and in, in bowing, he conveys the answer to the question. Yes? Uh, the reference to the reclining Tathagata, exactly. was, was he meaning Nantua? Yes. As he was reclining? Of course. Yeah. Sure. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. He says, uh, no, I haven't seen the standing omen figure or whatever that is, but I, I have seen this re reclining Tathagata. Look at what he was saying, what Zhao was saying to Nanchuan. Zhao was saying, well, seeing you there it reminds me of seeing the Buddha. And seeing you there reminds me of Wei Ke pleading with um, Bodhidharma. Mm -hmm. So he was really deeply saying something about um, how uh, devoted he felt already in that one meeting uh, to Nanchuan. 
It was really a uh, sincere homage that was being paid. It goes beyond clever words, right? It was really, I mean, when you hear the story, you think the only way this could have happened would have been, you know, heart to heart, right? You, you couldn't have this interaction with anybody in a kind of an intellectual way or in a, in a removed way. And Nanchuan really appreciated uh, the directness of action. So for instance, uh, we remember Nanchuan holds up the cap. And uh, when, his, when his monks can't uh, address you know, the, the cap that he's holding up, he kills the cap. And then later that evening, uh, Zhao Zhu comes and Nantuan tells him the story about killing the cat. And um, Zhao Zhu takes his sandals off, puts them on his head, turns around and walks out. And Nantuan says, if you had been there, you would have saved the cat. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, this is an interesting lineage. You know, so these people are finding the way to embody what they see as the truth. Not necessarily to intellectualize about it, but really to present it in, in a uh, definite way. When Xiaozhu walks out with his, his sandals on his head, uh, you know, you wonder, what is he actually saying to Nantuan at that point? It, it might be something like, you've completely lost your mind. <laughs> and I'm going to demonstrate how you're totally upside down, <laughs> thinking that killing a cat would be a good idea. <laughs> There's another, these guys had such an interesting relationship. There's another story about Jean-Jean uh, and Nantuan. Okay. Nachuan once said, people of this time must practice among different species. Zhao Zhu said, not to speak of different. What do you mean by species? And Nachuan got down on all fours. You see this dig dignified teacher, you know, <laughs> who Zhao Zhu had compared to Bodhidharma and the Buddha. <laughs> He gets down on all fours. And Zhao Zhu shoved him over with his foot. <laughs> and then Zhao Zhu went to the infirmary and he cried out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Nantuan instructed his attendant to ask Zhao Zhu, what are you sorry about? Zhao Zhu said, I'm sorry I didn't kick him again. <laughs> 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 so, so this is interesting, you know, um, the idea of kind of going beyond is really nicely presented uh, in this lineage. Zhao Zhu kind of, you know, we know he admires and respects Nantuan intensely, but he also kicks him, and then he apologizes for not kicking him again. 
right? So this is this is interesting. Nantuan. Mazu uh, taught this very mind is, is Buddha. And he also taught no mind, no Buddha. Nanchuan uh, has taught things like um, mind is not Buddha, and knowing is not the way. Mind is not Buddha, and knowing is not the way this theme that comes in, that Zen practice is not about gaining knowledge, or learning how to understand things, or learning how to talk about things. Knowing is not the way. Nantuan was um, talking about Mazu, and he said, Mazu said, mind is Buddha, but I don't talk that way. It's not mind, it's not Buddha, it's not a thing. Is there any error in speaking like this? Zhaozhu bowed and went out. At a later time, uh, Zhaozhu asked Nanchuan, what is the way? Nanchuan said, Ordinary mind is the way. Xiaoshu said, Does it have a disposition, this ordinary mind? Nantuan said, If it has the slightest intention, then it's crooked. Xiaoshu said, When a person has no disposition, then how can he know that this is the way? And Nantuan said, the way is not subject to knowledge, nor is it subject to no knowledge. Knowledge is delusive, no knowledge is nihilistic. When the uncontrived way is really attained, it is like great emptiness, vast and expansive. So how could there be right and wrong? And it's said that at these words, Shoshu was awakened. What do you get? What are these guys emphasizing in their dialogue? What do you get from that? always going to be just beyond our grasp. It's ungraspable, you might say. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely that. Definitely. So, you know, there's an emphasis on uh, 
The way is not about you knowing or not knowing. Not, not the kind of thing that could be grasped. Right? Also, it's not that there's nothing, because it's, it, not knowing is just you know kind of dumb. But it's not about knowing either, so it can't be grasped. And that's why the language about awakening is hard for me. Maybe because it resonates too much with my Christian upbringing, uh. because that doesn't feel like no attainment or a lack of a desire to attain through the practice. That, yeah. That's a bit of a contradiction for it, me somehow. We think of it as a special state. Right. Right. And in fact, I'm sure everybody has ideas about what it, what it means to awaken. None of those ideas are actually what's here right now. <laughs> you know, we think of it as special. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So this lineage was really emphasizing not special. Right? This very mind is special. Mm -hmm. So when, when you think of them talking about awakening, um, it's more like, oh, seeing what's been here all along, rather than finding something. Let me, let me just give you a couple of more things from uh, uh, Zhang Shu. Shu is famous for having said, um, attaining the way is not difficult. just disdain from picking and choosing. As soon as words are present, there is choosing. There is understanding. It's not to be found in understanding. And understa is understanding the thing that you uphold and sustain? A monk asked, since the way is not found in understanding, what is to be upheld and sustained? Jiaoshu said, I don't know. Monk said, since the master doesn't know what it is, how can you say it is, isn't within understanding? Jiaoshu <laughs> said, ask and you have an answer. Now bow and withdraw. What is being emphasized in this teaching? As you said, it's not way is not a matter of something that we can know. What else? Reflecting on like last week's talk and, and, and this week, I don't know if this is on track, but I was like, you know, that there was a there was something about like people at first like 
Yes. You know, then, then my reaction was, I don't know if I've ever liked it, but it, <laughs> it's in that it's just like it's not about liking it, right? And it's right. about sort of like part of it is giving up likes and dislikes and and discriminative thinking and and, um, and part of it like with, with it's not about you, attaining the way is not about striving, right? It's not about like achievement. And so to like sort of it keeps like breaking down when the mind wants to sort of say, well, give me the instructions, or yeah. give me the exact steps, A plus B, you know, uh, to get there, and to just you know to humble yourself and let it go and let yourself go, let it go. Yeah. Uh, and um, I guess give up your ideas of what it is to to achieve. But I don't know if that's like in line with that, but that's what. It, yeah, don't you think there's something like that? That uh, um, y- you know, when uh, Mazu says, "Ordinary mind is the way," um, that's really giving up your ideas about what the way is, isn't it? Because we don't think of it as ordinary; we think of it as something special that we're going to attain. Right. Making it make it more than it is, and like it's, it's this special thing that I need to aim to get and really build. And yeah, exactly. Which is yeah, yeah. Uh, a new monk once came to Zhaozhu and uh, said, uh, I'm, I'm new to your assembly, please teach me. And uh, Zhaozhu said, uh, have you eaten? And the monk said, yes, I've eaten. And Zhaozhu said, then wash your bowl. So that's as far from special as you can get, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what is the practice of this monastery? The practice of this monastery is, First to eat and then to wash your bowls. <laughs> you know, that's pretty good instruction. And pretty pretty down to earth. It's nothing special. I'll give you one more. Next don't worry, next week we'll we'll uh, pick up the slip uh, on this a little bit more. But there's one other thing that I just found. Ah. One day, Zhao Zhu was sweeping, and a monk asked, The master is a great worthy. Why are you sweeping? Zhao Zhu said, Because dust comes in from outside. (laughs) (laughs) And the monk said, It is a pure temple. Why then is there dust? And Zhao Zhu said, There's some more. (laughs) (laughs) purity you know uh, picking and choosing there's some more dust (laughs) yeah so Shangju had a a pretty good head on his shoulders I think even with uh, you know the inscrutableness of, of some of the sayings in the school we have a real emphasis on the, the practical importance of everyday events in Zen training, right? So my teacher, Shoken, uh, like, emphasizes this again and again and again. That really, sweeping is, is Zen practice. It's not like the thing you do so that you can then do Zen practice. Sweeping is Zen practice. Washing the bowls is the thing that we do. And you know, when you think about it, what's being taught in that, have you eaten and washed your bowls, uh, is kind of 
practice is just a continuous moving forward. This, and then this, and then the next thing that presents itself right here and now. Practice never stops at anything. You know, it, it's said that um, uh, the question to the monk, have you eaten, is kind of a question about have you awakened yet? Have you attained enlightenment yet? And the, when the monk says, yes, he has, it's kind of like a, a hidden message, yes, I've awakened. Then Jean says to him, well, then wash your bowls. Almost as if to say, uh, if you think you've gotten something special, get, get rid of that. And then just do the next thing that presents itself. Uh, any other thoughts there? Okay, let me pick this up next time.